the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. No, Dad. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with our uh, 25th anniversary look back at the um, killing of John Bonet Ramsey in Boulder, Colorado, with uh, Roscoe Clark, who is a uh, forensic tech and videographer. He's uh, been on the show several times. And uh, Roscoe, welcome back. And um, thanks uh, thanks for being here and, and sharing your knowledge and expertise as you've uh, investigated this over the last 10 years. And can you reintroduce Derek for me, please? Go ahead, Derek. Oh, yeah. My name is Derek, and I... Uh my role in this team is I, I run a documents lab. Uh, and so my laboratory deals with anything that involves paper. Uh, well, we're going to get, we're going to get to one of the, the real important documents, uh, that started all this in uh, just a moment. But, um, Roscoe, let me, let me ask you this. Um, is over the last 25 years, and I mentioned when we first started talking an hour ago about all of the different cable networks and news networks that have done, you know, special investigations and documentaries and series and um, the various publications around the country that have followed this story off and on for the last 25 years. But in addition to that interest, there have been a number of investigators and groups of, of investigators, including your team. Is it unusual to have this many people outside of 
the official channels, the Boulder Police Department and the prosecutor's office, investigating a, a case like this, especially a homicide? It's very unusual. What's unusual for us is we created a Facebook page called John Bonet Investigations, where we put a lot of information out there weekly. And the latest, uh, when Derek went out to Boulder and, and surrounding areas several times, several times, we've collected large amounts of evidence that we're getting ready to process for DNA and fingerprints. So there's a lot to be done here. This is the, called the biggest case in the world, you know, as far as uh, people knowing about it, next to Jack the Ripper. So it's the biggest case. Uh, people that follow our Facebook page, and they're in, the people are listening right now and texting us questions and stuff, and as we talk, we, we're answering them live right now. Um, but it's, it's a, one of the biggest cases, and it's caught the imagination of the public. A lot of the movies and books and uh, documentaries and radio shows all put a different spin on it to keep it interesting, and a lot of that information is not even accurate. So it keeps people running in circles. I did for several years. I went by the official reports, and I ran circle after circle. Then a neighbor contacted us that witnessed who was involved. And when they got involved, the neighbors witnesses to who was involved. At that point, we got on track. Then we focused our attention to that information, and we've been spot on ever since. Tell me, about your, so tell me a little more about your team, Roscoe. Okay, we have a team from attorneys to the document lab to the cold case forensic lab. We've got people that are experts in different fields. We're all working together and, independently. And were all these people brought together by that Facebook page, John uh, yeah, Investigation? Well, yeah, it, 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 pretty much that was a contributor. And it's other experts. Now, what's nice about it, we're, we're a group of experts working together to bring this case towards justice. We can't bring it to justice because we're not law enforcement or a court or a jury. We can just collect the information. Most crimes, you have a Crime Stopper background, and so you would know most crimes are solved by the public. That's what triggers it, that tip, that special tip, the you, witness, and, in and my, then the police in, take it from there. In, in my experience, very often a ticked-off girlfriend. Um, there you go. <laughs> but um, and and I want to turn to Derek um, because the the single most interesting document I think for most people in this whole investigation is the ransom note. And I'm going to ask two or three questions, Derek, and then I'll just let you you know weigh in however you think is appropriate to address it. Sure. One, it's my impression that the ransom note was written after Jean Benet was already killed. How, how would you even think of writing a ransom note after the person was already killed because ransom notes typically threaten to kill if the money isn't paid? And the other thing is there are some unusual things about this ransom note. It, it seems forensically from what Roscoe has told me over the years that the note was written in the house, um, and that it not was in, not, and it not was, in the Ramsey house. It wasn't written in the Ramsey house. It was written at a neighbor's house. Really? Now I was under the impression that it was written no, in the it, Ramsey it, house, and it was very no. long for a ransom note. Are you suggesting then, um, Roscoe or or Derek, that it's that it was written? before the crime occurred 
Yes. Well, let me let me jump in. If it's it was this is not really a ransom note. It, it's Ryan' primary purpose is an instruction note. The first set of instructions because they're performing the crime in the house. They can't come up from the basement and say, "Hey, Mr. Ramsey, this is what we need." They have to stay hidden. So that was the first part of the instructions. It actually was a very short instruction note and they say short instruction note yes because the ramseys didn't do what they said they didn't write enough information in there to convince john and patsy not to call 911 for help because the police would come search the house and find them in the basement with john benet that's what should have happened it didn't but that's what should have happened so this was an instruction note we identified forensically who wrote it in the last 30 days we've collected writing samples and finally well, there's 170 markers, we'll call it, to, to do a handwriting analyst. And one of the persons of interest matches a lot of the techniques in the writing, a lot of the details, to extreme high level. So I'm safely going to say we have identified the writer of the ransom note. And it happens to be a female around the 20 age mark that was connected to the neighbors. Yeah. And with... Uh and when you say neighbors, oh, Roscoe, are you still referring to the people across well, the street? We don't we don't want to get too close because that's, okay. we're getting too close. I don't enough. want to interfere with Boulder's investigations doing. Fair Remember, enough. we've been in, they've been in contact with us. They've called us and got updates, long updates. And I know it's their investigation. We don't want to step on their toes, but I think this investigation needs a little push, and that's what we're going to do forensically. Yeah, go ahead, Derek. Yeah, uh, some of your questions about the ransom note. Um, it uh, one of one of the lines in the ransom note uh, says, "You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics." Uh, well, it just so happens that a relative can't say who, obviously, but uh, works as a forensic chemist, and for a while. Uh, well, there's, there are two, two things at the uh, crime scene that we struggled to answer for a long time. One is that the pen, the pen that the ransom note was written on was, in a, was found in a cup inside the, Rams, inside the Ramsey house, in a, in a cup where you store pens. And uh, it's it, not only that, but according to uh, what Roscoe has told me, that uh, the original ransom note uh, was destroyed when they uh, when they doused it in some I think ninhydrin chemicals. Is that what it is, Roscoe? Yeah, it. Uh, they didn't know it was water-based ink. I think the uh, people involved with the crime did because it was a, a out of production, six-year out of production Sharpie marker, and they planted that pin in in an orange cup underneath the kitchen phone and the notepad, which that Patsy bought them by two dozens at Costco's, two dozen at a time. They were family. No, notepads, not Patsy's notepad. It wasn't Patsy's pen. John Ramsey confirmed that. It was just uh, that pen was brought there and placed there by the one of the intruders and returned the notepad. Uh, we can say Glenn Meyer because he's been exposed a lot. He came to the party on the 23rd and came there knocking on the door all confused. The, the relatives of the Ramseys opened up the door and he said the dogs are barking and uh, 
the, they wanted to see if the barn hills were safe because they were at the Christmas party on the 23rd at the Ramsey's. And they, they, John says, who's out there? And they said, well, it's the neighbor. Well, invite him in. He didn't really talk to anybody. He stayed there for an hour. We believe a profile. He collected one of the open notepads that were laying all over the place in the back hallway. So that notepad was taken uh, back with them. And that ransom note, which is really an instruction note, because they said they were going to give more instructions between 8 and 10, John Ramsey did get a call at 10 o'clock that next day, and the caller stayed on the phone for breathing heavy yeah. for 30 seconds and hung up. So they did follow through. They did call him, probably saying, well, your daughter's dead, you know, uh, because you called police and didn't follow our, our instructions. Several times they said in the ransom note, that she will die, you know, she dies if uh, you don't follow the details. Why? Because the crime was committed in the house. If, if, if John Bonet was taken from the house, that w statement would never have been necessary because the police would come and search the house and, and then find them. So once the 911 call was placed and they could monitor that from the basement, they knew the crime was over. John Bonet was then choked to death. The, the, bondage cords and they were bondage cords this was never garage people call it oh they made a garage with a paint stick handle that was a bondage device john bonnet was put in bondage for quite a long time in the basement she even urinated all over herself the lawn johns the carpet carpet pad so this was a bondage device those cords they're 48 inches long both of them only turned into a killing device after the 911 call so after 5 52 a.m John Bonet was alive and breathing. They had to keep her alive to collect the ransom money. They couldn't have a dead John Bonet. John Ramsey even said that in his book talk. Would have never paid a ransom if they didn't have a living John Bonet. He just wouldn't. So John Bonet was killed after the 911 call, choked to death, and then when put into the wine cellar, they were in a fury, a rage. No ransom. We did all these hours. We're in crisis mode. We've got all these financial pressures. And the one person next to her head stabbed her with a red Swiss army knife that was found next to her head. Forensically, we'd match that over about 18 times. Then the person in the middle, which was the female, took a red brick, a, red, a six pound red clay brick, smashed her in a rage of fury, of rage. In the head, that cracked her head more than six and a half inches. And the guy that was at the end of her feet when they carried her in the wine cellar took his ball bat that he borrowed, the knob end of a 28-inch long black ball bat that was found outside on the rock wall next to the butler kitchen door where they left, that was left open, hit her in the head and made an oval-shaped bone displacement. Now, TV shows showed that uh, the, a scenario was that someone took a flashlight, a three-cell black flashlight from the kitchen and hit her in the head when we did the forensic test real simple test to do the black flashlight either end will not make that oval shape couldn't so it was never the flashlight that's just a bunch of smoke screen imagination misinformation thought maybe one of the uh, ramsey's sons might have did that that is so bogus and not forensic supported i'm just shocked that they would even put that on tv with a group of experts nobody did their homework what matches the bone displacement is the knob end of the child bat perfectly. Hey, I have to take another break here. Can you guys stand by for a minute? Sure. Yeah. All right. We'll continue our conversation 
on this uh, acknowledgement of the 25th anniversary of the killing of uh, six-year-old beauty uh, pageant queen John Benet Ramsey in Boulder, Colorado, with uh, Roscoe and uh, Derek from Jean Benet Investigates. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. 
And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. And the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. This weekend is Christmas. It also marks the 25th anniversary of the killing of John Benet Ramsey in Boulder, Colorado, and here talking about that from John Benet Investigation uh, from Facebook is uh, Roscoe Clark. Derek is uh, also here with us by phone. And um, I, I, I guess maybe we'll start out this segment by asking this question. It's been 25 years, and with all of the investigative interest inside and outside the uh, official channels the the boulder police department and the uh, prosecutor's office um what is it going to take to finally solve this thing once and for all every four or five years there's there's a big expose and new information comes out um but uh where is the smoking gun in all this letting letting the current dna testing be known to the experts would be very helpful. DNA is going to help solve this case, and it's going to be the new DNA tested testing, not the old, because there's uh, problems with some of the DNA. But I want to jump something real quick back to that uh, ransom note. The ransom note was signed Victory, SBTC. What was interesting, across the street, the owner of the house was a World War II hero, dive bomber, and the plane that he flew was known to bring the war to victory. There's postcards showing victory on it in posters. And it was the technical name uh, was SB2C, SB2C, you know, with the victory. And in the basement on a poster hung this airplane that he flew with those exact words. And this was noted, and they said, wow, that's pretty coincidental, and left it at that. The other thing is the 118000 John Ramsey had a bonus the year before, and the way after the crime, someone says, well, man, his bonus was similar, similar, not exact, similar. Maybe uh, it was some inside detail there. Uh, the, what we've found out, and Derek did the work on that as well in the document lab, that the organizer that moved to Boulder a few years before the crime was getting his fourth divorce, and he saved his divorce, extended it, by getting a VA loan for 118000 just like the ransom note. So they moved to Boulder. Now, after the crime, when the district attorney said there'll be nobody charged at this point in time, one of the people connected, uh, persons of interest, highly connected, we'll call him the, um, we, we gave him a name of the leader, he goes out and gets a home improvement loan 
for 118,000.00. Kind of like bragging that, haha, guys, we're smarter than the police. So that's a little bit about the, the ransom note. There's a lot of information in that ransom note. I call the ransom note every word in there 100% spot on. It is so accurate. There's nothing in there that doesn't make sense once you know the crime and all the people involved. So it's pretty interesting. Do you think there will ever be arrests and or convictions related to this crime? If Boulder Police is in charge, because it's been 25 years, we have a, a confident level, just a little less. But there are people like ourselves and others that are committed to bringing this case towards justice, and we're going to. So to answer that question, I see justice in the near future. Because yeah. they're not going to be able to keep sweep this under the rug. The media is waiting to blow out all this information. They have to do that carefully. We're using DNA. We can send stuff to the lab tomorrow. We're going to swap right. stuff later this week. We're, we're processing fingerprinting. If these right. fingerprints come in, we're sending it directly to Boulder and all the other sources in the next week or so. So there are case-breaking evidence, new evidence, that can connect these people forensically where we could never do that years before. So we're on the edge of this case being solved. Right. There, uh, uh, we've pegged seven people involved, but others who know those people who know what happened. So seven and directly involved, others that know and that know the people involved. Uh, two of the seven are no longer alive, but five of them are. And so, uh, is the, is this case solvable? It, it's very solvable, uh, more than more so than people think. Uh, we, we say so. we, we say we solved the case. Okay, that's fine. That's a very accurate statement. Forensically, we've solved the case, but it has to go through the court system to officially be solved. You know, arrests are made, the courts go in. Uh, we know people that go into the court systems that committed crimes, and the jury doesn't convict them. Then we know people that are innocent, that are said to have done a crime, and, and their DNA later on proves that they weren't involved. So you never know the end outcome. But this, this crime is, can be easily solved at this point. And the word easily means because of years of collecting documents and interviews. And wit there's witnesses, witnesses to this. They, they, they're staying behind the scenes because they're scared for a couple reasons. Um, but there are witnesses that could be called in. Well, is it, why is the, the Boulder Police Department, why do they seem to be moving so slow on this? It was, it what? was what, two or three years before anybody acknowledged officially that this was the work of intruders and not uh, John or Patsy Ramsey, or even Burke for that matter? Let's, now, people ask us, and i got to be very careful here. I don't want to burn bridges, and I don't want to create anything that's less than right. So I'm going to be very careful. Hopefully you guys can read around. Boulder, Colorado is the hub of the Mexican drug cartel. You can look that up. You can Google it. People in the area know. To operate a drug cartel successful for all these years, you may need some type of protection when it comes to law enforcement. Let's just suggest that for a moment. The people that were involved in the crime were connected at different levels 
to the drug trafficking. If you were to bring, take down people that were involved in this crime and they had knowledge of protection at a different level, you might have a bargaining tool so this case can't be solved without taking down high officials, if we want to call that, and not going to say where, in the state of Colorado. And this could be why this case has not been solved. So if you can read between the lines, this is what we've found out. People have come forward to us that are very credible. This is not a topic that we want to follow. I have no interest in that, the drug cartel or what, uh, who's being paid, who's not being paid. Uh, I know there was a party three houses down from the Ramseys that included heavy drugs, and the persons of interest uh, are profiled to went there, picked up pineapples, cherries, and grapes at the real nice buffet, and people at the party we interviewed highly suggest that they believe people that went to that party came and gone may have been involved with the crime. So, but what was important, why I'm telling you this, is because dispatch was told not to take any calls all night long from that party. Right, so, right, so, right. There was a there was a hands off policy on the party. They weren't the the patrol cars were not to take any calls or complaints to that party. And when when the they early morning came and they were outside, you know, getting fresh air, they seen all the police at the Ramsey's house. Everybody scattered. Not one taxi driver was interviewed that came there or went. And not one person out of many people that we personally interviewed at that party said the police and investigation even asked them any questions. So then you got to ask, why are people two and three doors down not being interviewed? Well, without reading. Um too much between the lines if there was some reluctance by Boulder police and or Boulder officials to move forward on that case is there evidence that can overcome any potential uh, corruption um, uh, cover up any any other kinds of reluctance for them to resolve the case themselves is there evidence that that can overcome that in such a way that they have no choice but to move forward yeah i think the dna we've got witnesses of like we said there's seven people that that were involved to make this crime even work it's well documented we would never say that put ourselves out in the national spotlight if we weren't 100 percent sure we're very careful when we make statements. It's got to be backed with a lot of evidence. There are witnesses that might break down, the, the ones that are connected to the seven that are less stable. Did you know that uh, we believe the female intruder, the one that took care of JonBenet, that dressed her and undressed her, fed her the, the, the fruits, mixed fruits, pineapple with the rinds attached, the grapes and cherries uh, that she had in her stomach. She was fed 30 minutes before, but somebody called the current at that time DA personal home phone and tried to confess. Yeah, it's 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 we, it's very possible that one of one of those involved tried to confess because uh, uh, she didn't just call the tip line or the police because at the, at that time uh, you know it was all clogged and it's hard to get through to anybody. But she found the personal home phone of the district attorney uh, and called. Uh, called his home phone and left a message. Well, at least it, at least the report says a female called the uh, uh, district attorney's 
personal home phone and tried to confess. Uh, we believe that's very. There's a very strong possibility that uh, our person of interest is the one who made that phone call to the DA's home phone. And the, D- so and the DA took let's notes let's on this, uh, Derek? What's that? Did the DA take notes on this call? There is an official record on it. The, uh, what the DA did was he had the police look into it. Uh, so there was a report filled out on this phone call. Let's go uh, a step further, a step further. One of the persons of interest highly connected to this person that we're talking about, seen the, a lot of the national articles. We've been in National Enquirer many times, Globe, In Touch, you know, so on in the last couple of years. And this news tabloids, these tabloids are all over Boulder. And the person of interest, one of them, may have read and monitored all these different media organizations, was sitting around in the middle of the day in a, in a chair out in the yard with a two two three rifle, called his wife and uh, says, I love you, I've, I've, I've had it. Um, the wife, he, he threw the phone out in the road. She called the neighbor next door. This is a quick overview. And he uh, came over and says, hey, what's going on? And he, he says, uh, what did he say, Derek? Uh, he said... He said, "Get away from me." See, the, the neighbor came over. Our one of one of the people that we've pegged as being one of the intruders um, called his wife, told her, uh, "I can't take it anymore. Just to heck with it." And I'm to heck with it. That's not what he said, but that's per, uh, language appropriate for your show. Uh, he said, yeah, he "To heck with it." Or... Yeah, he's like, "To so heck he with walked, it." He walked he tells down his the wife, middle of the street. He sends a text. Yeah. He tells, he texts his wife and says, um, uh, to heck with it, I love you, um, you know, and that he, uh, the neighbor comes over and says, give me a big hug. He's like, get away from me. And then what, what does he do, Roscoe? He walks to the middle of the street. It's a neighborhood with, you know, houses fairly close. There's about 15 witnesses down the middle of the street, a few houses down. One neighbor's calling 911. We listen to that recording. There's a guy with a gun in the middle of the street, you know, uh, it's a sporting rifle. It's a two, two, three, not a, you know, automatic or anything. It's just a little sporting rifle. It looks like a military gun and he puts it in his mouth and he pulls the trigger. The bullet goes through the back of his head and then splatters the neighbor that was about 10 feet behind him. He falls to the ground gurgling. And by the time the ambulance get there, he was starting, he was unconscious and then he died. No one could figure out what triggered this. You know, we've been monitoring it from the outside real close. We understand the case was heating up. He had a meltdown. No question about it. Neighbors identified this individual, and that's and, how we locked when in did on did this him. happen? Just a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Recent. And, and so people are having meltdowns. Now, another person of interest, a Michigan connection, that's how uh, our Swanson sheriff got involved, um, had a big meltdown, started confessing. So we've got two confessions. People are... It's, it's burning these people up and they know the case is getting closer they're watching the investigation from different sources and they're having problems now the wives of one of these people I think might be the key uh, he beat her up and he went to prison or jail for a while uh, tried to kill the police because of the meltdown on this case and he called his wife a traitor because of all the information that we've uncovered and that we had close contacts with this person. So there are various ways to answer your question. 
can this case be solved? Will it be solved? Uh, we can't write the story, meaning this thing's so fascinating, it's unbelievable. Uh, we see several ways this case may get solved, and it might even be from confessions. Well, you think that, um, that, that DNA is going to ultimately be the smoking gun? Boulder's got to release it. They got to release all 21 markers. We're hitting all the 12 or the 13 markers. But what's been made public in 2008, we're hitting it rock solid. So, but other people could hit it rock solid. We need the rest of the markers. Uh, so, the, and so we're sending that into Boulder through official channels. Now that we don't know what they're going to do with it. If they want it solved, they'll look at it, and then they can go pick these people up and uh, do what the what the procedures are in law enforcement. All we can do is provide them with good matching DNA at the level of 13 markers. But we really need the full 21 markers. Of all of the um, media reports, and, and I mean uh, print journalism, uh, television news, cable specials, of, uh, of all of this stuff, are there any that, that are getting it right, or is everybody just getting bits and pieces? Bits and pieces because there's so much misinformation. Sometimes I believe from behind the scenes, knowing the case at a certain level, there's a lot of deliberate misinformation put out there. Deliberate. And that's what police tactics are, are allowed to do. Attorney can't do that, but an officer can. And they, they've done this to the extreme. The public pretty much believes in what they read or seen on a TV show, and it throws them in a whole different area where when they do see the facts, they can't believe they are the facts. People will come to our site and say, wow, we're, we're, not, we're, the, we're the site that's got so much information, it doesn't make any sense. Well, we got forensic information that's carefully researched, and it's carefully put out there once we know it's been verified multi-ways. So until, and we can't just go out there. We've only posted 50% of the information. I wish we could talk free and open right now like the listeners want to hear, but there's laws against that. You know, you have, you're innocent until proven guilty under a court of law. Otherwise, we're liable for big lawsuits like you mentioned earlier. We want to say who's involved. We don't dare do it. Now, Boulder Police knows that's, that's different. But uh, we can't go out there and put it out there in the press. We can say we have DNA matches at the highest level possible, but we can't say who it is to the well, public. Well, as you mentioned with the, the various lawsuits, um, uh, there were several people and companies that had reported on the case in 1999, Star Magazine, uh, American Media, um, and some others that the, the Ramses sued. And then John and Pansy Ramsey were sued in uh, two defamation lawsuits uh, from the publication of their book, *The Death of Innocence*, in 2001. Um, there, there just there have been a lot of uh, defamation I, lawsuits I, in, I, with regard can, to this case. I, I need. I want to jump back. I know I, I, we never finished that, but just so the public knows, John Monet was found with about a half-inch round-shaped mark on her face at the jawbone and a lot of people didn't know what that was uh, Lou Smith said it looked like a stun gun so he, he found out it might have been an air taser an air taser has a little tab two of them 
And it does, these stun guns don't make noise. Some do. This one doesn't. It's quiet. And those, it's one sixteenth by three sixteenths. That's the tab. It's little. There's two of them, rectangular in shape. Well, the tab marks match up to her face, but one tab is bigger than the other. And so what that was is it wasn't the tab was held off the face and little arcs spun in a circle to make that mark. That wasn't it. That's what uh, Lou Smith Group came up with, which was a good thought. But what it was is when JonBenet was choked, taken to the basement, they had to release the cord within three or four minutes or she'll suffocate and die. But you can keep her choked for a while and she'll still be okay. When they released the cord, the child screamed. That's what the neighbors heard. Two neighbors heard that. They said it started and ended abruptly, three to five seconds. Went through the vent pipe, the makeup air six-inch pipe in the basement window, just a few feet away from when they let John Bonet down on the carpet. So they released the, the cord that was around her neck from her bedroom to the basement to let her breathe. You got to do that to have a living John Bonet. And so when she screamed, that terrifying scream, they pulled the cord back. The guy that had in charge of the cord pulled it back, choked her back. Then the stun gun was used on her jawbone for extended time. We've got the uh, coroner's photos that show it in great detail that the tab, that round tab at half-inch diameter, was at least eight overlapping tab marks. So he turns the stun gun on, shocks her, it stops, he cycles it again. We counted eight times. We've got the tab marks. So what that was was to shock her at the jawbone area so she couldn't scream. So then when they took the cord off of her, she was incapacitated for a while. And so we can explain these things forensically. And it's pretty exciting because we know this case step-by-step step forensically. And we're going to post more and more uh, as we go, you know, as the public has a need to know. That's a good, that's a good note to end on, which, which we have to bring it to a close here in just a, a couple of minutes, um, literally two minutes. But, um, but I always want to make sure listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, but also where they can stay up on it. Is, is the John Bonet investigation uh, website or Facebook page uh, a good place to sort of keep up with what's going on? Every day there's new posts, photos, forensics, corners, uh, interviews. It's we never know each week where we're you know what new information's coming in, but we put it out there and we put it out there accurately. Now, if you're just new to it, you may be confusing because if you watch a TV show and it suggests the family did it, you're not going to see that here because there's no forensic evidence showing the family was involved whatsoever. So we stay forensically, and I avoid imagination and wishful thinking and movies and all that other stuff. That cannot be, motions cannot be part of it. But job and investigation on Facebook is a good step, uh, and uh, you can contact us with questions. Uh, we've had witnesses contact us that way. That's what put us on track. Well, Roscoe Clark, thanks so much for uh, you know putting this, uh, getting together with me today for this uh, 25th anniversary look at the John Benet Ramsey killing. And Derek, thank you for your part in all this. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Uh, again, John Benet Investigation is the uh, Facebook page. And with that, we're going to take a uh, short break coming up here in just a moment. And um, 
I'll be back to wrap up today's edition of the Tom Sumner program, and I will be back uh, uh, tomorrow with something a little more a little more Christmassy. So um, be sure and uh, tune in tomorrow for our Christmas Eve. <music> This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. 
For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
yourself a merry little Christmas it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program but join me tomorrow we're going to get in the holiday spirit starting off with uh, journalist and author Tom German and everything you ever wanted to know about uh, Santa Claus but thanks to my guests today Roscoe Clark and Derek from uh, A Investigation on Facebook uh, talking about the 25th anniversary of that uh, Christmas time murder in Boulder Colorado and uh, I guess I'll see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, 
find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.